This episode of What's the Story podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and is now available in USA, Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand and the EU. We have an exclusive offer for all of our listeners today. When you head over to manscaped.com, use the code WTSPOD and you'll get 20% off and free shipping. So go on ahead, join the movement and the 2 million men worldwide who already trust Manscaped. Did you know one bloke every hour, every day is diagnosed with testicular cancer? Testicular cancer is the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35. And this month Manscaped are working with the Testicular Cancer Society to spread awareness for men's health and early cancer detection. In addition to providing the right tools and solutions for safe and easy grooming, we're encouraging you to check yourself at least once a month and if you find anything that seems untoward, any lumps, bumps, anything painful, any new swelling, get it checked out properly. Give your doctor a call and make sure that nothing sinister is brewing. Together, the Testicular Cancer Society, Manscaped and WTS Pod are all committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer that's affecting these young men. We're also giving support to fighters, survivors and families of impacted by testicular cancer as part of the We Save Balls initiative. So make sure that you're checking yourself regularly, you're keeping yourself looking fresh and tidy by using those Manscaped tools and remember, when you join the Manscaped movement, you're taking care of your balls in more ways than one. Head on over to manscaped.com to learn more and also use the code WTSPOD at checkout and you'll get 20% off and free shipping. Your balls will thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to WTS 233. 33. Now, the Americans love when we say 33. Yeah, so do the Aussies. The Aussies do as well, do they? Uh, my name is... I, only, I, made, I made one sale in my job in Australia based on how I can say 23. Jesus. They're, they're, they're odd, aren't they? People are odd, like, the things they... Like, I, yeah. I don't think... I don't think there's any accent in the world that I would ask somebody to say a specific phrase, like... No. no. I, don't, I don't think so. People are mad. Probably when you have a few jars on you. Maybe, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, my name is Danny Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Graham Merrigan, and welcome to What's the Story podcast. Danny, yes. who are we speaking to this week? That's it, Graham. Straight in, no kissing, because the guest we have this week is absolutely fantastic. And there's no better way to introduce her than to jump straight in. So here we go. Absolutely delighted to say this week we've been joined by a woman who uh, knows no frontiers when it comes to travel. And uh, it might sound weird, but she can't wait to get off this planet. Uh, <laughs> she's an engineer, uh, an artist, a performer, and she's a writer. And she's going to have a chat to us about all things space and why she's so fascinated by space. Dr. Neve Shaw, thank you very much for your time and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Neve. Lovely. Thank, thanks a million, guys. It's lovely to be on your show and, you know, you guys have been doing podcasts for so long. You know, you're showing us all how to do it. So I'm delighted to be on. Delighted. Yeah. 
it's it's a pretty low bar if we're the, if we're <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? In the last year, everyone and its mother has done a podcast, but you guys mm. have been doing them for years, you know. Yeah, that's what that, I mean, you know. Uh, that, that, that's no easy to say. Yeah, it is. And it's, yeah. it's mad how how much they have. They've they've kind of. Yes, they've, I love them because I've I've always I've always been I've always you know leaned towards radio anyway because mm. you can kind of be doing something else while you're listening and you do feel like you're having the conversation like really you know really great podcasts make you feel as if you're there or you know they tell stories and stuff so yeah it's great I have to say it's it's great it's great that they've exploded you know and, it is uh, yeah. yeah it was about time because yeah, it was sort of it was very niche for a very long time and then it was like boom it exploded yeah. yeah. I did- the topic of space itself is is one that there's there's a whole abundance of podcasts on. I mean, nearly anything that yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson is on, I'm I'm trying to listen to as often as I can. And yeah. there's a whole host from you yourself. You've you've got your yeah. one that's going as well. Do you want to tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, that's called Humans of Space. So I, I think um, I'm just always really interested in people, you know. So so facts for me have to be connected to people in order for me to be to find them interesting. And I find that that's what I'm most interested in too when I try and kind of share the stuff that I'm fascinated about. And I've always, I think it's because it took me so long to let myself mm. um, pursue uh, my curiosity in space. I'm, I'm, I just really, I'm always trying to break down. How do people have that kind of self-belief to do something, you know, uh, to have the career that we all kind of wanted. So humans of space is me having conversations with, and it's and it's the people that just don't give up are the people that mm. eventually kind of get there. That's what I'm learning from it, you know. And that, I find that very encouraging, very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's something that we can all take something from. I think, yeah. but it's like even that kind of list of people there that, that, and those professions, like a space architect. What what is a space architect? Oh man, it's the coolest job. So really creative, but also really mathematical people, you know. So they they they. So, you know, if you imagine it, like, you know, in this world, you know, there's four walls, you take mm-hmm. a breath in and you can breathe out because you have oxygen. Um, you know, there are walls, there are tables with objects on it. So, you know, you make assumptions that gravity is throughout your house, right? But you take gravity out of the equation. You have to design um, a structure to keep a human safe. So it has to be... Yeah. You know, it has to be completely sealed, airtight and pressurized. It also um, you also have to think that, you no longer there is no longer up or down. There is just walls. So, you know, so so then and also the space, the actual volume occupied is at a premium, you know, so they have to design structures that are strong enough um, to keep humans safe but also that there's really smart storage solutions and, um, you know, uh, that, that, the, um, that the sanitary conditions are more than likely recyclable. So they're, you know, they're, they're involved in the early stages of designing kind of toilets that, um, you know, remove the, uh, the urea out of urine and then uh, recycle the water from it. And they're just, yeah and then engineers kind of get involved but they're they they come up with the original concepts of um a lot of kind of space structures so they're very interesting people so, so if we if we do get to mars these will be the fellas that are designed the the apartments and the houses and yeah. whatever we have yeah. <laughs> yeah like if you look at them um, if you go onto the european space agency's website so they're kind of now 
yeah, everybody, everybody's talking about going back to the moon, you know, and mm. but um, so the first two years they'll be orbiting the moon and dropping down from time to time. Um, some humans but long term want to set up a kind of permanent what they call a habitat a habitat is a building any building that's not on earth is called a habitat and um, they have a kind of a video I mean it must be about must be about six or seven years ago already but it's like amazing you know and so architects would have come up with the original design and you have to think about how do you get it there and then when you get it there how is it going to be built it's not even what it's made of you know really smart people Really is, smart. Is too smart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is is yeah. it weird that like, you know, I mean, the, the moon landing all those years ago, ninety was it 67, 68? 69. Uh, 69. 21st July, 1969, yeah. 69, like, and then <laughs> we're, we're all these years later and it's kind of as if we got to the moon and it was kind of like, brilliant, that's great. A little bit of excitement then for a few more years. But it, the, the kind of, space exploration kind of fall off a little bit then like are, yeah. are, why haven't we really gone back to the moon or why all these years later are we looking at the moon again and saying we're going back there um it's always politics or economics unfortunately that drives um you know a lot of innovation and you know the 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 forefront of the, of the new frontiers so mm. uh, the moon of the 1960s was ultimately uh, the Cold War being rolled out in, uh, you know, in lower Earth orbit, as we say, or, or in the, at the moon. So that was really a race between, um, you know, the Soviet uh, Republic and America. Mm. And um, they were competing with each other. So in 1961, um, before we ever got to the moon, uh, you know, NASA had been set up a few years and they had the Gemini program and they were trying to get the first man in space. And Yuri Gagarin beat them to it uh, 30 yeah. year, 60 years ago on the 12th of, of April. And and so f- from that, they were just competing with each other. So America had to have something because uh, Russia had the first satellite. It had the first man in space, you know, first so dog. They, yeah, first dog. So they had to do something. So. Um, what happened really was was just that the that the real wizard of of the the, the driving force of the of the Russian space race um, he died and then when he died kind of everything kind of fell apart and then America finally did uh, get to humans on the moon and who knows what would have happened you know if it had been yeah. the other way around so so what happened was was that you had this moment where people couldn't comprehend that there were two humans walking around on this celestial object that we look up in the night sky every night and that there was two people up in it. And it kind of, people just, it had this effect. I think nearly nearly everybody I know who is under uh, 40 has been, um, or over, I mean, over 40, over 40 has, uh, is a part of space because of the moon landings. Like it's, it's impacted them in some way, either their parents passed it on or, I mean, it's inspired. It, it's a massive part of, of, of why I love it too. It just made, it suddenly shifted what we could possibly be. And it changed the boundaries of who we are as a species that we can somehow, these little kind of tiny parasites that are living off a planet had the intelligence to, spring themselves off uh, a planet that pulls them you know towards the center because of gravity that they can go fast enough with a really basic controlled explosion 
and propel themselves to this thing that that shines in our night sky. I think it, it really kind of blew people's minds. They were like, and you know, to this day, people still think it didn't happen because it's just so difficult yeah. to get your head around. So, so that happened. And then once that happened, people, the general public kind of started losing interest. They were going, ah, oh, yeah, well, they've done it anyway, you know. So, but but really the science was really starting to get interesting. And, you know, we managed to get a few uh, moon rock samples. But what happened then was, you know, um, you know, America went into a different era. And um, and so, you know, funding for space kind of dropped off. And then they did keep going. They had Skylab. So Skylab was a, um, a space station that orbited earth in the 1970s and it was amazing it is still without doubt like the sexiest one that's that's ever been it was huge <laughs> they had a shower in it like a, a proper shower and it like all this really fancy food and i think it was inspired by um i don't know if you know the the movie by a guy called um stanley kubrick called 2001 as space, space Odyssey. Odyssey. Yeah, yeah yeah so that was like they had like pan am women and they were kind of delivering food like it was like a plane these guys going to the moon and i think um that came out you know in the in the late 60s and i think it really inspired nasa to come up with something amazing so they made this huge um um, space station but unfortunately when it launched it got damaged there was only ever two missions but it was hugely um uh you know it, it was uh it was really courageous and and since then you know everything has been downsized and space is a premium so it's it's much yeah. more like living in your garage actually it's like living in your living in kind of the the all the wires and the cables of your house that's kind of what it's like to live in the space station you know you, so so you, there, it has been going on all the time. It's just that yeah. the public awareness of it has kind of gone down a lot. And you you kind of have experience living in space in a, in a way. You, you've kind of been to Mars, haven't you? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess I have. But I mean, it's nothing like what the, the real thing. And it's, it's only, yeah. it, it, you know, and it's funny, even that, like it profoundly changed me. So, so um, what I did was, so for people, who are um who are specialists in uh y- you know the science of space for want of a better word there's different kind of categories so one of them um would be a type of science where they're trying to determine life in extreme environments and they're called astrobiologists and then you would have people who are looking at the landscape um you know so that would be geology um on earth but it, there's also a kind of a geology of mars or the moon and stuff so they don't really get a chance to practice their skills of collecting samples, uh, you know, on Earth. So there's these facilities that are created around the world in extreme environments. So they'll be in extremely cold places, um, extremely hot places, um, places that look like uh, Mars or or the Moon, places that are underwater, places that are on volcanoes or in in polar regions, and people go there to um, to behave as if they're on uh, an, in an extreme environment, whether that's Mars or the moon. And it allows them go outside in the field and try and collect samples as if they're on these different planets and live in those conditions. So it has, it has benefits for psychological studies as well as science studies. So anyway, there's one of them in the middle of the desert in Utah called the Mars uh, Desert Research Station. And it's run by the Mars Society. And you apply 
uh, with a kind of a scientific um, protocol, you know, a series of experiments that you want to run. And I was invited to join a, a crew of astrobiologists and geologists and an engineer. And I was there as kind of the engineer and scientist, but also kind of the writer and the, the artist. And um, I wanted to capture the whole thing from start to finish because I'd never done anything like this before. You know, I'm not even I wasn't even in a girl guide or, or anything like that. And <laughs> this place was in the middle of nowhere, but it really did look like what I imagined Mars to be. It was um, it was all this, the the soil and the all the hills and everything. They were red. And so that's because there's iron in the soil. So on the outer surface, it oxidizes with uh, the air. And it goes red, you know, the same way rust does. So that's why that's also the same on Mars. That's why that location was picked. And we behaved for um, just over two weeks as if we were on Mars. So just to let you know what Mars is like. So Mars has a very thin atmosphere, so it's thinner than here. So if you were to clap your hands on Mars, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't get that nice sound that we have because that's because our air is, is at a different pressure. So the pressure of, of Mars is a lot thinner and it's there's no oxygen in the air it's carbon dioxide 95 percent carbon dioxide and the gravity is a little bit lighter and obviously there's nothing there so you go in with you're given a ration of water and a ration of food and you live in effectively a garage it, you know it's called the habitat but it, it feels very much like going outside and living in your garage it's all sharp corners um you know nothing everything kind of stripped back to its bare minimum and the heating system was just this ducting of of, uh, of of gas of a gas heater basically that was blowing hot air throughout the place and um every time you went to the toilet you only could flush the toilet for number twos not number ones um there was an option to shower once in the two weeks um that we were there i went in for about three minutes but it was so miserable because the pump isn't you know you've no kind of sewage line you've no mains water you've nothing like that you just have to use a pump to get your water from outside in. And the pump is like a basic, basic pump that makes this sound like uh, 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 when you go to turn the taps on. So every time you flush the toilet, you go, it would go because uh, 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 it would be pulling water from this tank or you go to wash the dishes, uh, you know, just in a, like in literally like two, two inches of water and it would go, uh, 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 you know, and so um, you get a trickle of water. So you got very used to washing your hands with a trickle of water. You got used to, um, you know, drinking the least amount of water that, that you absolutely need. And you became obsessed with your water supply and mm. food became literally just fuel, you know, and you got up. The day would be composed of like you get up at seven, you'd sit around going, right, what are we doing for the day? You have to get permission from mission control. So you have to do a kind of an email thing to mission control they're virtually away and um, they look at the weather and they tell you whether it's safe to go outside or not. And then you suit up. So, you know, we didn't actually have the real suits that would be required to live on Mars because the second you go outside of Mars, it's like, you know, you, you it's a death trap. So you have to have proper pressurized suits. But we had a kind of a, a flight suit. It's like, a, it's basically like, the you know, the way uh, mechanics wear a kind of a boiler suit, like yeah. an overall, it's kind of like that, except there's kind of, badges on it because that's what they do in space they always have a kind of a patch for each mission and stuff but it's effectively like mm -hmm. a boiler suit and then uh you we wore this very heavy helmet and this backpack and the backpack was supposed to it was a fan that was supposed to keep your helmet free from condensation but it, it didn't it didn't really work so um 
you go outside and your whole center of gravity is off because this this helmet and backpack is so heavy and it was extraordinary i was terrified you know if you if you put a foot wrong or anything you do yourself some serious damage what was the food and like then, food is really salty it's um it was all just sort of um powdered stuff so you had like powdered egg powdered butter you added water to everything in the first days you could bring in some food up for the first few days like fresh that's gone within three or four days and then you're you're down to your basics it, i didn't i didn't really mind to be honest with you because I, I wouldn't really have a great sense of taste but that the fellas were great so there was myself and michaela we were the two girls and there was three guys roy idris and uh, rick and they were amazing cooks and they somehow managed to make magic out of that powdered muck that we had to eat <laughs> i don't know how they did it but <laughs> It, it was we were there for um, we were there for two weeks and I genuinely started feeling I was on a different planet. So bizarre because you have no external stimuli. You know, you don't yeah. you don't have television. You don't you're not getting any phone calls from you're not on Facebook. You're not online. The only time you go, um, you, you know, you go online is to talk to mission control and, and you have to do these daily reports. And the day would just fly by you were always behind everything was always broken every time you went to do something it didn't work our experiments just didn't work because everything is so incredibly difficult when you strip back life and it made me start to think about what do I need and like I haven't missed anything in my house I haven't missed anything like I had everything I needed and I only had like two pairs of trousers and four tops and I had my computer stuff and my camera stuff I didn't need anything else and so when the mission finished, um, I remember uh, we were incredibly close. Um, you know, we, you become very connected. You can tell immediately if someone's tired, if someone's mm. off. And the slightest thing would, would create tension, you know, like a family, very much like a family. And I, and I think very much like the way we're surviving lockdown. But we left, yeah. we left on the last morning and um, it was, my heart was breaking leaving because life just got really simple and it got really safe and you didn't have to deal with anything. You didn't have to do with money, earning money or paying your bills or all that just was gone. Just literally had to just do these experiments and get up and hang out with these people that weren't bad company and go to bed, you know, and like it was, there was some of those days were extremely tough, but, but by the end you get the sense of great sense of achievement. Anyway, we go for breakfast in this, tiny little village it's the nearest town to the facility and it's horrible but to us it's like a palace because I have with pancakes and bacon and coffee and I went into the bathroom we, we decided we we're going to spend the day together and um, because it, it, the whole surrounding area is like national parks and I go into the bathroom and you know I just went for a whittle went for a wee and I got up thinking you know you don't flush the toilet for number ones you only flush for number twos and I, oh yeah that's right I have to flush it again and I flushed it and I was in shock with the with the pressure of the water it just having realized that your urine can be you know can be taken away by you know i don't know maybe two or three liters of water this felt like 15 or 20 i don't know how much it is is in a flush yeah, but it yeah. was literally 20 times more and then when i went to wash my hands i've been used to this uh, 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 you know like this splatter of water and now it was like it was like it was like just ridiculous ridiculous amount of water it's like oh that's so wasteful you know and yeah, yeah. It, it made me really think about water differently and I remember I came home and I was embarrassed 
that I lived in a place that seemed so big and also that I had, you know, my hot press, I was particularly ashamed of because I had all these towels and all these duvets that I, you know, I don't need that many. And all these things like cushions and throws and it just changed. And from then on, I started giving away stuff and downsizing. And now I live out of two suitcases and I have a few kind of um, a few kind of mementos and stuff in storage. That's yeah. like that, and that and that was four years ago. It's incredible the effect. So it had like on my life. yeah, so it really, really was life changing. Then like it's yeah, yeah, it was. It just made me reappraise what's really important. That's what it did. We'll be right back to our guest, but first we got to take a quick word from our sponsors, Manscaped. Now we already know that Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming. And we already know that they offer the precision engineer tools for your family jewels. We're part of the 2 million men worldwide who are already trusted Manscaped and our town halls have been immaculate for quite some time. But what I'm really here to say today and what I'm really happy with is to work with a company that's doing so much to help support something like the Testicular Cancer Society and to help spread awareness for men's health and early cancer detection. Testicular Cancer Society and Manscaped are committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men ages 15 to 35 with their We Save Balls initiative. So when you're down there and you're giving yourself your trim using your Manscaped products such as the Lawnmower 3.0 or Crop Preserver or Crop Reviver, give yourself a check for any lumps, any bumps, any swelling or any pain. If something seems unusual, get a check out. Manscaped recommend checking yourself once a month. So make sure you're doing it lads. And if anything is sinister, if anything's there, catching it early is really important. Check yourself regularly and make sure that you're not only keeping yourself neat and tidy, but you're keeping yourself safe too. Head on over to manscaped.com to learn more. And remember, when you use the code WTSPOD at checkout, you'll get 20% off and free shipping. Now, back to our guest. And in terms of what, what's important for you, is the number one thing for you then to, to get to outer space you've kind of experienced it in a way it gave you a, a flavor of it. so is is the, is the big ambition then for you to, to get to mars or does it to, to is that will that be possible in our lifetime or or is it more so you you just want to get out of the atmosphere and see what it what it's like and what it's all about it's it well i'll tell you what it is it's i'm i i really um so astronauts uh, will tell you whether they go to the moon or whether they spend a couple of months up on the International Space Station, that they all talk about this change in perception of themselves and of what life's all about when they see the Earth in one eyeful. You know what I mean? So when you get the chance to really pull back and see everything, it just changes your perception of, of what's really important. And that's that's what I want to do. And I, I, I want to, for me, it's, it's about experiencing that so I can write about it and I can talk about it. And I can, I like, what I like to do is I, I think sometimes science and engineering are fundamentally very easy things to understand if you have the ability to explain it in, in a way that everybody can understand. And, and mm-hmm. that can, that just requires years of really understanding something. And I really like the challenge that I, I, I like to challenge myself with that. Right. So um, if I can, 
if I can do that, you know, and people know that that's kind of the thing that I do. Imagine if I could see that and I found a way of describing it that everybody got it. Then what, how could we change our perception of ourselves as a species? And could we change the way we prioritize things and could we could we be better to the planet and could we be better to each other so so that's what i want to do because when astronauts see it, it some of them find it very difficult to articulate but the, you know mm. it, and it's it's spiritual and it, but but not religious it's like they see earth as fragile that it's like alive that it's in charge that we're not in charge it's in charge and it's in a constant state of seeking balance so if something happens on the left side, the right side is impacted. So, for instance, you know, Robert Thursk, if you listen to the podcast, I, uh, the interview I had with Robert Thursk, who is an incredibly kind of, he's really human and he really gets the bigger message of what space is. He says, you know, you see a fire um, on the east coast of the world. And as the wind blows across, you now if you see a fire on the west coast and the wind blows across to the east, you'll see that those cities have smog. Or, or whatever, um, and um, wind on the, you know, on the on the left hand mm-hmm. side, then carries across and causes a storm on the right hand side. So we only see it from our own town or our city or our country. But when you see the whole thing together, you see that it's all connected. So the quicker as a species we all work together and think together, the better we'll probably all get along. But the but the the better our relationship will be with our planet. So the big um, dream for me would be to spend some time on the International Space Station or, or getting to the moon and being able to see that. But for long enough that I'd have time to sit there and go, I, I actually can't fathom what I'm looking at and then yeah. um, and share it with people. Then most importantly is, is to find ways of sharing that as writing it or performing it or speaking about it or whatever you know talking to schools talking to families that's 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 the dream that's that that is it and and it started when I was eight years old and it's funny it's always been in there and it took me years to give myself permission to allow someone like me possibly achieve something that impossible when you say someone like you Neve, how do you mean <laughs> well you know I grew up in a, a normal house, you know, I was three of a third of four. Uh, I'm an average student. I'm a hard worker. I mm. wasn't exceptionally talented at maths Um, wasn't exceptionally talented at science. The only thing I'm good at is talking to people and connecting with people. And I'm okay at writing. I'm not exceptional at it. I'm okay. So I'm very, I'm okay at a lot of things because I work hard. And because I'm very curious. So the two things that are that I'm that I know are my strengths are. And I'm fascinated by people. So, you know, I I wasn't an A student. I my my leaving cert was okay. It got me into engineering and UCD. I was an okay engineering student. I wasn't top of the class. And, And that's the way it's been. Even my PhD, it was okay. I've always been. Midland, you know what I mean? Uh, like mm. very happy and, 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 um, and, you know, I, I'm not underplaying the opportunities that I've had. I've been very lucky that I grew up in a house where, you know, my parents said, 
we're going to make sure that, you know, if you want to go on to third level education, we'll find a way to make that happen. We got the grant. You know, we weren't particularly mm. wealthy. I just have always just been like average and Eve, you know, and, it, and but there was always a disappointment in me that when I was younger, I used to be so excited about life. And I think sometime around my teens, I realized that it isn't it isn't it what it, it, it didn't match the excitement of my dreams. And that's kind of the way the first kind of half of my life was. And then yeah. uh, when I started pursuing um, more artistic things, the magic came back and I started kind of seeing myself differently. And that perspective piece, that that has had a massive impact on how I see myself. So I think space really has the potential to make you reappraise your life. If there are any, what, what are the, the ways, like, let's say you, you said at eight years of age, yeah. you wanted to go to space, say, um, that's yeah. a, I, know, I know in America that when the money, like you were saying as well about economy, uh, economy uh, oh my God, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> economics you know like if the, when the government in america wanted yeah. invest in, in a space program or stuff like that but like when it's coming to the end of school and you want to pick college in america yeah. you can do these space programs or you whatever how does someone sitting down filling out their cao cao forms in ireland if they wanted to get involved in such things how did they did they go down the engineering route yeah uh- now you see it's it's really just about connecting the dots what i realized was was the people when i interviewed them and when i started meeting irish people at the european space agency and some Irish people at nasa what i realized was, was that they saw someone or met someone or went to went to the nasa kennedy space center when they were a kid or they sent um they asked an astronaut for their autograph that's all it was they saw someone that they could relate to, who connected with them in some way. So the only thing that was missing for me was as a kid was that there were no astronauts in my line of sight and there was nothing in my life rooted in reality that had anything to do with space. There was science fiction, there was the moon lands, but that was all like, wow, kind of dreamlike stuff. And the great thing, all I, there was nothing stopping me then getting involved in the European Space Agency. I just didn't know how to do it. So what's fantastic about today is that, yeah, you just need to do engineering. Anything I did was relevant. It's just that I didn't know how to how to transfer it. So you just need to do um, a, a science discipline. So like today, the European Space Agency has advertised for its, its, um, it's opened its call for, for astronauts and you have until the end of May to get your application in. and it's a really straightforward application it's not it's not hard and you know it's a very competitive thing which is why you know so few get through and they have mm. to invest a lot in them but the apps the, the criteria is is pretty basic if you if you have you know if you've if you're a science person so you need um, a degree in a science or engineering discipline uh, a master's in engineering or um science discipline and three years work experience that's it so, so it's it, it's accessible for for very yeah yeah very very doable. It's just that it's you've no idea. Role models are so important, and we are all role models. Every single one of us, a child, um, they say makes up its decisions about who it wants to be based on who is their world before the mm-hmm. age of ten. So if you go up in a house where 
you're seeing space on TV, but it's not part of your everyday life. That seems impossible to that child. Whereas if they have an uncle working at the European Space Agency, Mm. it's possible. It's that simple. Right. So Adam Adam, Adam King is going to get the space on. That's what you're telling oh, me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's incredible. It's that it just needs, you just need to tell people what you want. And that's what I, I just was so ashamed to say it because it seems so preposterous. I didn't want people to laugh at me. See, it's, it's, it's mad that you say that. And it's mad when, when you're saying kind of like you're just average Neve or whatever, because. Yeah. So, it, like, there's, there's a weird juxtaposition here for me because it sounds like amongst all this kind of ordinary that you're talking about there's something extraordinary there because you're you're given that angle of it and there's a kind of can't see can't be vibe on getting yeah. into why yeah. why you didn't kind of realize that until later in life and then there's that famous story of kennedy visiting the space center and as he's doing the tour he's walking around he comes to a janitor and he asked the janitor what do you do here what 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 do you do here and the janitor stops and replies I'm sending a man to the moon. I love that. His head, he was playing the part. He was doing his bit to get someone well, to the it. moon, you know? Well, and that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm fascinated by that, that like the, the optimism and the, the sincerity of that, of that man and everything else that was there. Yeah. Meanwhile, a couple of thousand miles across the sea in Ireland, Neve there and she's like, well, I can't do it because sure, you know, nobody else is it's just a weird balance like it's isn't it isn't it yeah isn't it it's um, mad it's just with the people you surround yourself with you know and mm. uh and you know your perception of like and this is the thing about space um i'll i i'll you know i'll, I'll tell you about the distances and stuff in a while you yeah. just you need to look at your perception of reality it's that simple so the boundaries that we place on ourselves if we're not in situations that we cannot control obviously but you know some of us are in situations that are out of our control and Mm. and you know we have to get out of them first in order to have the ability to you know i know i'm very lucky that i have i have no nothing around me that's preventing me be who i can be but when you get to that point of, of calm and peace in your life your perception of of reality is entirely based on what's in your head and that's what i started realizing that i i created those boundaries nobody did my parents didn't my friends Mm. didn't school didn't college didn't i did i said that to myself i told myself that i someone like me couldn't possibly have a career in space and all it took for me to do was to start um, making work that mattered to me, that I actually felt that I was, I was, I was doing something of value for me in my life, for me to start seeing those walls disappear and realizing, oh my God, I actually can make interesting things happen, or I actually can have an impact on the world in a way that I want to, you know. And then that was that was it. Brilliant. And then I yeah. wanted more, and then kind of just. I just finally allowed myself be it. Yeah, and it's absolutely amazing. And I, I love the fact as well, then kind of like, because you look at Ireland, you look at space and kind of, there's probably a lot yeah. of people listening who probably, you know, they're like, Ireland, space, ah, sure. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Like, obviously you're, you're one of the foremost voices on it. And then Dr. Nora Patton is the other one that I always yeah. think of when I think about Ireland and space. 
And yeah. the fact then as well, it, it's it's two women who are at the front of this conversation. I know, as well. it's not mad. It's, it's I've heard that, that a few times that I'm amazed that it is. And yet, you know, talk about, I think that's a lot to do with, with the, you know, with women supporting women, you know, and I, and I would say that, that, so I would have had a, uh, you know, I would have had a career in, um, in science for years. And then I stepped away and I was acting for a fair bit just on its own and writing. And then I started bringing the two together and mm. uh, started bringing the two together. I was so supported by, you know, women in STEM or like women in the sciences and those yeah. initiatives that um, I, I think it's because of those um those groups and those women that helped people like me uh, come forward. Um, I think it's fantastic. And um, and I hope that in this astronaut uh, call that a man will come forward and we'll start hearing a, a male voice as well, because it would be nice for it to be to have equal voices, you know. Yeah, but yeah it is interesting. It is interesting. I agree with you. Um, yeah, it's I, I don't know, and the whole thing, and the thing is, we, I mean, we could sit here and we could talk for hours upon hours and upon hours of, of things about space, but unconscious, it's it's a midweek evening, and uh, you, you've been very generous with your time already. But before we let you go, there's probably just a couple of kind of couple of kind of quick fire questions, I guess. Uh, not that we haven't the hand, but just ones that we're kind of curious about. Uh, and I yeah. know when, when myself and Mera were saying, let's do something about space on the podcast. Let's do something about Mars or anything. Like the two of us are just, I think I said to you beforehand, like two curious children who, yeah. you know, we, we could Google it, but we just prefer talking to people yeah. who are interested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people like, that know about it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like, so a, a lot of the talk in, in recent months has been around stuff going one way to Mars and then stuff coming back the other way. And yeah. there's, there's been videos and there's been all sorts and it's mad and fascinating. But firstly, how long does it take to get to Mars and how long does it take for the stuff to come back? Okay, so um, it's it, the, the getting to Mars from Earth takes between seven months and two years. And the reason for that is, right? Jesus. So we, so, no, no, I'll t- I mean, it's very, when you, when you understand, you, you, when, you, when you get it, you'll, you'll know what I mean. So we orbit the sun, right? Yeah. And we're slightly closer to the sun than Mars because Mars is just the next planet beyond the sun or beyond us, the other side, the other side of us. So we're closer to the sun and the other side of Earth is, is Venus, right? So it takes 365 days for Earth to orbit the sun. And I think, I, I think it takes 667 or 627 days for Mars to orbit the sun. And that's because its, it's orbit is, is big. So... Yeah. Um, and they're not purely circuit orbits around the sun. They're kind of elliptical. Mm. So sometimes every two years, what happens is, is that the, the orbit of Mars and the orbit of Earth kind of are in the same side of the sun, if you know what I mean. So they're on the left-hand side of the sun at the same time. So if yeah. you launch something at that time, it's only going to take seven months to get to Mars. Whereas if you have Earth on the left-hand side of the sun and you've Mars on the right-hand side of the sun orbiting, that's going to take way longer. So that's why it takes okay. between seven months and two years. And then, so if you if, if it takes you seven months to get to Mars, you have to wait another two years for Mars and Earth to line up again to be that closely. So you wait two years and then when the window's right, you get back in, you get back in, and you come back, and then take seven months. So, and then, so what are you doing for seven months then? Yeah. Well, nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> there was one. Um, there was one mission. There was one analog mission, like mine, the simulation mission, called Mars Five Hundred. 
um, kind of around about 2010. A friend of mine um, did it when he's a colleague. I, I would like to think he's a friend, but it's kind of unfair for me to say it. Um, and he was, he was, he was, they were cooped up for 522 days in a habitat in a warehouse and uh, they didn't go outside once in that whole time at least we were able to go outside every day Jesus. and yeah 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 and it was a psychological study and they realized that the psychological study after about 150 days doesn't matter nothing really changes it was really interesting he said you know and and this psych- psychologists say this that um the most dangerous time for missions is at the very start and at the very end because mm-hmm euphoria kind of kicks in so there's you're skittish at the start because it's all exciting and then the hardest part is just after halfway because you realize how much it took for you to get there to that point and then just after halfway is is very low as well and then as you get near the end you get skittish again and and mistakes can be made and stuff so it's very hard to keep them balanced and and he said that food was a massive he said that food was so important it was such a morale booster Food is a massive thing for boosting morale when you have nothing else going on in your life. So I don't know. Nobody really knows how we're going to how we're going to survive. But from those studies, um, you just get into your groove. And in the thing I have found about astronauts is they're incredibly um, they're just they're just really good at just getting on with things. And mm. they they put up with a lot and they always they a lot of them are recruited because they really understand how to be a really good team player and how to lead when they have to and then how to follow. But but most importantly, they all appreciate that they are kind of the custodians for the work of hundreds and thousands of people that have put them there. So you talk yeah. about that janitor. That's exactly mm-hmm. that janitor had the right mindset for um, the space program. So nothing can happen without everybody pulling toward in in one direction and and astronauts get that so so they feel this tremendous pressure to get it right because they know that you know every minute you're in space is extremely expensive but that also like if you're conducting might have 50 or 60 experiments to, to when the international space station so they've been shown how to do that and every experiment that's been there has probably had about 10 years of planning because they've had to apply and then they get funding and then they have to get allocated a certain mission and and you know so so there's there's years of work that's going on for every second that they're up there and every second that they're up there is actually counted and they, they have to kind of keep ahead of it so they really understand um how to just get on with it they have incredible resolve and resilience so that's why they are astronauts the average human wouldn't survive and that's why i want to do it because i want to show what somebody like me how a real person would cope in those in those scenarios because i i don't believe i am an astronaut or ever will until they can get spice bags and my wadi to mars i won't be going i can tell you that much anyway um <laughs> sounds like sounds good to me yeah. <laughs> as soon as the, as soon as they want the chinese take away on mars i'm there yeah yeah, yeah. so th- this one's a little bit of a morbid question but uh yeah I'm, I'm curious so the international space station is there a protocol for if somebody dies up there like yes. on uh, like so in everest if someone dies on everest they stay on everest it are, are, like they're not brought back around like that so in the space station are they brought back are they buried at sea for want of a better term buried at space or whatever there is a protocol um, 
there is protocol. It's highly proprietary. And I, I, the only, the furthest I've got was um, a, a surgeon general just said, you know, I asked him once. And so a surgeon general is the guy, they're the guys that kind of take care of astronauts and obviously mm. medically and stuff. And um, they're trained in basic medical procedures and dentistry and hairdressing, um, how to administer first aid, how to, how to conduct like basic operations and stuff. So they're given, they're given a little bit of training and then, there's so like the opportunity of telemedicine where doctors will phone in okay. and kind of through things but yeah in the event of death there is a protocol they, they don't really go into the details but they say yes there is a protocol in place if somebody should die in space or on the international space station yeah okay but but so far thankfully like that, that well i geez i don't know how to say this without coming across as like uh either ignorant or whatever i know there's been obviously tragedies in terms of the launches and that kind of thing yeah but once, yeah. once you kind of get into orbit or whatever i, I don't think there's ever been any kind of there, there probably hasn't um, been in, has there? I, I'm I don't not know. sure. I'm not sure. I think something happened on the Russian side, but it's oh, very right. difficult to get information on. Mm. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's it's crazy, though. The whole thing is... It's just fascinating. It's just yeah. the, like space, tra- space is, travel in general. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, yeah. And in, I'm conscious we, we we said we'd chat you for a half hour and we're going nearly an hour only. So we're, we're ah, you were right. Just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> The, the last question that I want to ask, Meryl will probably go, hang on a second, don't go anywhere. But um, <laughs> in, in terms in terms of the mission to Mars and everything else, then, realistically, do, do you think there'll be humans walking on Mars in the next 20, 30 years? Yeah, I think next 30 years, yeah. You have well, to look at Elon Musk. You just have to look at what man is... Um, is driving forward and the teams of brains of people and the money that's been that has been thrown into it. Um, so a, they're they're really working extensively on this spacecraft called Starlink. So they've they've mastered the reusable rocket. So that's just that's just going up and down now. And and you know they've mastered mm. a new spacecraft to send astronauts to the International Space Station. That's happening regularly now from Florida. And so now they're focusing on Starlink. It's not starting a ship. And Starship is this juggernaut of a, a, a spacecraft. And that's the one that they're planning on getting to the moon and mainly um, to Mars. So mm. I would say um, as long as nothing happens to Elon Musk, um, I would, I would um, I'd be pretty confident that we would see a, a is, human mission to Mars in the next 30 years. Is, yeah. is he the modern equivalent of that Russian guy that you mentioned earlier on? Karolev, Karolev. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I would almost, yeah. I mean, I was listening to him on Joe Rogan there, you know, the one from two years ago where it was all, this, I was watching it last night, the scandalous mm. one where he, he drank and... Uh, oh, he, yeah. Yeah, he upset the shareholders. Yeah, he upset the shareholders and stuff. And he has this incredible ability of simplifying engineering and uh and he is he is he is one of the best engineering brains i've ever heard he's just solutions based and he really understands the laws of nature and the laws of physics so he's just literally able to think of that and how to solve it so if anyone will drive it forward it it will be him so as long as he stays sane and healthy i i would be pretty confident that 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 would be achieved in the next 30 years yeah well, well, yeah, Think, things like that. I'd say one thing, Neil, I won't be gone. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? On brand on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go, I'd go if they let me go, like as a communicator, and I'd suffer it. 
because I think people really need to understand that there's nothing glamorous about space. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. It is unbelievably yeah. difficult and and um, there's nothing easy about it. Every single thing, breathing, sleeping, eating, every normal day-to-day activity in the absence of gravity and, and an atmosphere gets really tough very, very fast and very dangerous. You know? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, Brilliant. Ian, thanks so much for your time. I've, Not I've at all. And uh, as I said, we, we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but that mm-hmm. would be fair to you. Um, if if people want to, to learn more about you and if they if they want to hear what you're getting up to or, or follow mm. your activities mm. with all things space and, and your book as well, which came out last year and everything else, where can yeah. they where can they find more of you? So my website's neveshaw.ie and you can subscribe there and um, I'm starting now to get myself organized to send out kind of regular newsletters and stuff. Um, my podcast, Humans of Space, I'm working on the, the second series now of that. I've got some great guests lined up for that. Um, Twitter, uh, dr underscore neve underscore shaw and Instagram. And then I have a few videos up on YouTube and I have to get better. I'm going to be doing more live streams and kind of, um, you know, uh, YouTube shows and stuff like that, because there's definitely an appetite for news Brilliant. about space. So, yeah, there is. But there's not enough hours in us all. Neve. No. Enough hours in there's, there's a science show, Clads. Get in there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Neve, th- thanks Mel, for that. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Neve. Definitely Fascinating. Go and check out everything. But um, Neve, right. un- until, until next time. Thanks, Emil. No problem. Thanks, Dave. Have a good day. Loved, loved, loved every second of talking to Dr. Neve Shaw. Space is fascinating, isn't it? It's mental. It's just, it's so, it's so big and it's so vast and yet nothing at the same time. Yeah. How is that, like, like how can something be so full of, of lots of things and yet have absolutely nothing at the same time? Yeah. Mad, isn't it? Mad, mad. Neve's fascinating. She, like, She's excellent. She's brilliant. The stuff she's done, man. We didn't even get to talk to her about half it. Like, do you know what I mean? But the like habitat sounded interesting. I was just listening to all that. Stop. Yeah, that's there's a book in that kind of stuff as well. But like, she's done training with like Russian cosmonauts, and she's like <laughs> done uh, presentations in NASA, and she's spoken at like NASA conferences and just mad stuff. So that's why when she was saying that she's just ordinary, average Neve, I was like, if you're ordinary and average. The rest of us. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but but fair, it's, it's but all, that's all the modesty, though, isn't it? That's it, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's growing up in Dundalk for you. That's what it'll do. But uh, she's absolutely brilliant. I, I love her to bits. I think she's absolutely fascinating. And uh, I, I'd love if she did get to achieve her goal of getting to hit outer space at some point in time in her life. Yeah, it'd be perfect. But uh, yeah, that's it. That was, that was another one done. Another one in the books, as they say, Meryl. Yeah, and the big one next week. Do we want to say? Do we want to say anything? Do we? No, no, we don't. We just want to say that it's a big one, and it's a return for his second appearance. He hasn't been on in five years. Yeah, and it's still to this day one of our most popular and most listened to episodes. That's it. Now that's all we'll say. That's, Where that's can all you, say. you listen to them? Uh, if you want to listen to all previous 232 plus bonus episodes along the way, all you have to do is go to Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, anywhere and everywhere that there is a podcast available. All you must do is enter WTSPOD and you'll find us, me and Mero, waiting for you. Like lovers after the war, ready to embrace you. <laughs> or go to WTSPod.com. 
wherever you go, lad, wherever you go, just do us a favour. We don't ask for it often. But just, just leave us a little review. Just take two minutes. Just, you know, give an L5 or an L4 star review and just say, yeah, these lads are all right. I endorse this kind of carry-on. I approve this message. That's gas. I asked one of the lads today. He texted me saying that he listened to um, Karen McQueen and it was very mm. good. And I says, and he, I says, feel free to leave a review. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah. leave a review. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can on Spotify, but I don't know, every so often people send me screen grabs. It's not a very Irish thing. Your mates, like, they like to, you know, make sure that you, you're not getting too ahead of yourself or anything like that. Not, not that we do. I mean, <laughs> yeah. For fuck's sake, look, I'm doing this from a box room in Port Leash, lads. Like, I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to claim it's anything like the late late, but... <laughs> just taking an old screen grab of some of the negative reviews on iTunes or whatever and they're like this you Dan and I'm like no that's all Mero that's all aimed at it. Mero that is no, the good reviews are about me like you know what I mean? so, but, uh, no but yeah anyway anyway um, that's yeah that's everything that's it anyway yeah that's it manscaped.com use the code WTSPod and get 20% off appreciate perfect until next week Dan clear eyes full hearts can't lose Next week we'll be saying too sweet. <laughs> <laughs>